your calendars and join all your ACB friends June 17th for the ACB Summer Auction. It's going to be a fun night of friends and fundraising for ACB. Some of our ACB leaders will be auctioning off items such as crafts, collectibles, jewelry, vacations, and food. It all gets underway at 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and ACB Media. But you can get a head start on all the fun with the Appetizer Auction, June 15th and 16th. To find out more, get in touch with Leslie Spoon by emailing lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. That's lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. Get ready to get bidding at the ACB Summer Auction, Saturday, June 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and ACB Media. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators. Set up professional audio and audio settings. Close, press CMD Plus to open pop-up. It's elected officials or its staff. Everybody, this is Jonathan Simeone. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Demand Our Access podcast. Today's episode is going to be about the web content accessibility guidelines. And uh, before we do this, I want to announce uh, that this will be our last episode of the podcast until uh, August 5th. We were going to be preempted on July 1st, uh, my guest for the ACB convention. And Desiree and I are getting married on June 30th, and so uh, we'll be moving and things. And so this will be our last episode until August um, 5th. But we have the web content accessibility guidelines today. Um, it's about a 20-minute recording, and then we will uh, I will take questions uh, about the guidelines. And so I will play the presentation now and be back at the end. Introduction. Before giving a brief history of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG, and describing their technical components at a very high, hopefully easy to follow level, I'm going to discuss what I believe is the most important thing you need to know about the web content accessibility guidelines. The reality that their development is inequitable and largely excludes people with disabilities. I'm beginning with the lack of equity involved in the WCAG development process because I'm hoping folks will consider what our lack of involvement in the technical aspects really means for our odds of using WCAG to create a web that's truly accessible to us. WCAG's lack of equity. I covered this at the end of a previous live version of the podcast but it needs to be restated here. The process of developing the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines is not at all equitable or inclusive of members of the disability community. The WCAG is developed by the Web Accessibility Initiative, 
WAI, specifically the development of WCAG is done by the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group. The current chairs of the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group are Charles Adams Oracle, Rachel Bradley Montgomery, Library of Congress, and Alistair Campbell, Nomensa, a British company. As far as I can tell, and I have looked reasonably hard, none of the three is a user of assistive technologies. All of them describe themselves as working on accessibility in the field of accessibility and or advocating for accessibility for periods of years. I can't find one mention of any of them discussing their life as a person with a disability, describing how they use assistive technologies, or commenting about how they are personally impacted by inaccessibility. I mentioned the employers of the chairs of the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group because the working group is an organization that, for all intents and purposes, only allows other organizations to join as full members. This means that an individual, regardless of their disability status, knowledge of assistive technologies, web codes, and related tools, cannot join without an invitation unless their employer pays to be an organizational member or they are able to pay thousands of dollars to join as an individual. The membership FAQ has lots of information about joining the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group. The fees for joining the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group highlight the elitist, restrictive, inequitable nature of the WCAG development process. The current cheapest fee for joining in the United States available to very small nonprofits and government agencies is $7,900 annually. The largest annual fee for a United States business is currently more than $77,000 annually. As the FAQ about the membership process and the fee structure for joining the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group indicate, the development of WCAG and the leadership of that development is a process that the vast majority of the disabled community cannot participate in at all. To make matters worse, the only people with a real shot at membership and the right to true participation are people who gain entrance in the organization with the permission of their employer. This structure creates an obvious conflict of interest, forcing people to, at minimum, 
represent the wishes of their employer if they want to continue participating. So, the structure effectively guarantees very few people with disabilities will have an actual say in decision-making and that the guidelines reflect the wishes of the business community, not the disability community. To pretend it welcomes participation and to offer a largely false nod to equity and inclusion, the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group does offer different ways for members of the public to comment, but as you have heard me say repeatedly on this podcast, the most important concept of disability equity is nothing about us without us. By using a process that effectively prevents people with disabilities, unless they are representing their employer's interest from having a voting say in the development of WCAG, the Web Accessibility Initiative, WAI, has created a process that is all about those of us with disabilities while largely preventing those of us with disabilities from meaningful participation and denying us a real chance to lead efforts reporting to make web content more accessible to us. Basics of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines The Web Content Accessibility Guidelines WCAG are developed by the Web Accessibility Initiative, WAI, a division of the World Wide Web Consortium, W3C. The W3C is a web standards organization founded in 1994, which develops interoperable technologies, specifications, guidelines, software, and tools to lead the web to its full potential. The W3C is directed by Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web in 1989. Version 1 of WCAG was officially released on May 5, 1999. Version 2 of WCAG was released on December 11, 2008. Version 2.1 of WCAG was released on June 5, 2018. Version 2.1 of WCAG is the current official version of the standard. Version 2.2 was recommended as an official standard on January 25, 2023. It has not yet been officially adopted. That is supposed to happen at some point this year. The latest working draft of version 3 was released on December 7, 2021. 
since version 2.1 is the official version and version 2.2 will be the official version later this year. The rest of this episode will focus on those versions. Version 3 at this point seems at least a few years away, so I will discuss that in a future episode. WCAG2, the Web Accessibility Initiative, has an overview of WCAG covering versions 2.0, 2.1, and 2.2. Before diving into specifics of WCAG2, it's important to define what the WAI means when it says web content. Web content generally refers to the information a web page or web application, including natural information such as text, images, and sounds, code or markup that defines structure, presentation, etc. Important things to know about all versions of WCAG2 are as follows. The standards don't change after they are officially published. WCAG 2.0 and WCAG 2.1 are backward compatible, meaning if content complies with WCAG 2.1, it complies with WCAG 2.0. WCAG 2.1 does not supersede WCAG 2.0, meaning organizations that have adopted version 2.2 as their standard do not need to adopt 2.1 to be compliant with WCAG. Four principles of WCAG. WCAG is based on four principles, perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. Perceivable, information and user interface components must be presentable to users in the ways they can perceive them. This means that users must be able to perceive the information being presented, it can't be invisible to all of their senses. Operable user interface components and navigation must be operable. This means that users must be able to operate the interface. The interface cannot require interaction that a user cannot perform. Understandable information and the operation of user interface must be understandable. This means that users must be able to understand the information as well as the operation of the user interface. The content or operation cannot be beyond their understanding. Robust 
content must be robust enough that it can be interpreted reliably by a wide variety of user agents, including assistive technologies. This means that users must be able to access the content as technologies advance, as technologies and user agents evolve. The content should remain accessible. If any of these are not true, users with disabilities will not be able to use the web. Guidelines and Success Criteria under version 2.1 and 2.2, there are 13 guidelines. For each of the 13 guidelines, there are testable success criteria. The success criteria are divided into three levels, level A, double A, and triple A. Every organization that has adopted a policy promising to comply with WCAG that I have seen has adopted level AA. This is because level A results in improved but limited accessibility. Level AAA in some instances is not achievable. Level AAA is best used when its success criteria would add accessibility for certain disabilities and or in certain situations. The success criteria are used to determine whether content complies with WCAG. WCAG 2.0 had 61 success criteria. WCAG 2.1 added 17 success criteria, bringing the total number of success criteria in WCAG 2.1 to 78. WCAG version 2.2 added an additional 9 success criteria and eliminated one, bringing the total number of success criteria to 86 in version 2.2. Under version 2.1, there are 30 success criteria at level A, 20 at level AA, and 28 at level AAA. Under version 2.2, there are 31 success criteria at level A, 23 at level AA, and 32 at level AAA. To illustrate how the levels work, let's consider this example. Under version 2.1, there are 31 success criteria at level A, and 23 at level AA. For a site to comply with level AA, as every policy I have seen reports to require, that site must conform with the 54 success criteria combined in levels A and AA to be considered to meet level AA compliance under WCAG 2.2. But because there is no requirement 
to comply with each new version of WCAG2. A site is considered to comply with WCAG as long as it satisfies the requirements of WCAG 2.0 level AA, meaning an organization could have adopted a compliance policy based on WCAG 2.0 in 2008 and would not be required to comply with the requirements added over the last 15 years unless that organization expressly adopted version 2.2 as their new compliance standard. This is what they mean when they say the latest version of WCAG2 does not supersede previous versions of WCAG2. My belief, which I hope is true, is that if people with disabilities were allowed meaningful participation in the development of the WCAG, that entities would be required to comply with the latest version within a reasonable time after release in order for them to be considered in compliance with WCAG. Conclusion my hope is that folks will learn the truth about WCAG and that our community will call out the World Wide Web Consortium for its lack of inclusion and inequitable process. The only way WCAG will actually reflect the needs of the disability community is when the disability community not corporations are determining what constitutes accessible web content. That will never happen until we, as disabled people, call out the World Wide Web Consortium for their discriminatory practices and when we ask our advocacy organizations to demand a true seat at the leadership table and the right to make decisions about what constitutes accessible web content in the future development of the WCAG. Hey everybody, that's it for the pre-recorded portion. Um, it was a little... Uh, technical i guess there isn't really a way to avoid that um but i hope it gave people who aren't familiar with the standards at least some idea um, as to how they work and how you might use them one thing i want to highlight here that i did not highlight in the recording uh is that they are guidelines the web content accessibility guidelines. They have not been adopted uh, by any law, except they have basically been incorporated in Section 508. So for all intents and purposes, they do apply to federal digital content, uh, federal information and communication technology. But unless your state government uh, or your local government has adopted them directly, they do not fully comply uh, or uh, apply. 
Um, they also do not fully apply under Title III of the ADA, which covers uh, places of public accommodation, so your businesses. Um, although the Department of Justice uh, did release a little over a year ago uh, a document, you know, re reiterating that both Title II state and local governments and Title III, the, the businesses, are covered by the requirement to have accessible web content. And one of the ways they mentioned they could come into compliance is by following the WCAG. Uh, but they have not been officially adopted by the Department of Justice. Uh, so now, with that being said, we'll see if we have any questions. Uh... Yes. Um, hello, you can hear me? Yes. yes. So I have a two-part question. Um, the first part is, from what you've said, <clears throat> do you think it's fair to say that disability organizations such as ACB, NFB, and others have sort of been asleep at the wheel when it comes to you know, advocating for being part of the governance structure of WCAG. And then the second part of my question is, regardless of the governance structure, do you think there, in terms of the content itself of WCAG, do you think there are things that are wrong with that content that would be fixed somehow if organizations such as ACB were part of that governance structure? Thank you, David. Uh, I will answer those quite parts of your question in order. Um, I also want to apologize if you can hear the doc barking dog in the background. Uh, I have a, a window open in here and I have a headset on so I can't get over to close it. So I apologize for that if that's coming through. Uh, part one of the question, do I think they were asleep at the wheel? I don't know if asleep is the right word. Uh, I want to remind everyone of the disclaimer that the views expressed on this podcast are mine. Uh, but I think this is a very complicated issue. And the reason it's a complicated issue, in, in all honesty, is that a lot of the organizations that basically run WCAG also are donors to the advocacy organizations. And it's hard for these organizations, obviously, to raise money. Uh, and to a certain extent, they rely on corporate money. So there's fine line, in my view, that they have to walk when, you know, to come out and say, this isn't inequitable, even though in my view, it's totally not equitable. Uh, when the same people running it are the same people who donate to the advocacy organizations. So in my view, do I think the organization should be speaking up more about this? Yeah, I do. Do I think people, the organizations and people with disabilities should be calling this out? Yes, I do. Uh, but I also recognize why it's a thorny issue, and that is a much deeper conversation that I think would be interesting to have with folks. Um, but at a very high-level view, that's kind of what I think um, is going on. Uh, as for part two of your question, do I think there are problems with WCAG? Yes. Uh, um, I'm not going to get into a lot of this because it's highly technical and we could give a lot of examples, but I think 
and one of the main problems with it is that it it doesn't it's not demanding enough uh I mentioned during the episode how you can comply with WCAG even if you have a 15-year-old policy that doesn't incorporate any of the requirements from 2.1 or 2.2. I think that's a big problem. But as far as the technical aspects, I'll just give one example. It talks about you have to be able to navigate. And one of the things it mentions as a possibility is headings and using headings sequentially. But using headings sequentially, which means using them in order, so heading one and heading two and heading three, and then you can go back to heading two if you want and back to heading three, um, but it's not required. And for those of us you know, who navigate that way, who use our screen readers so that we can jump from one heading to another, you can't consistently navigate pages when there's no sequential heading structure. So do I think that that should be required? Yes, I think I think the standard should be tighter to require that. Um, I also think that the standards uh, in general, and I think we're going to see a lot of this in WCAG3, actually. And so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much because that some of this will change in the final version of three when it's adopted. Uh, But I have a lot of issues with three. And my hunch is that they're pushing the envelope now to see how far they can take this toward preventing litigation um, and still pretending that it is a standard based around accessibility. In my view, it is very much becoming the web content try and stop disability litigation guidelines rather than the web content accessibility guidelines. Good good afternoon, everyone. Hi. Hi, I just wanted to let everybody know um, that at the uh, virtual portion of the ACB conference and convention this year, the Information Accesses Committee is going to be uh, doing a three-day session on um, web accessibility specifically. So if you want to dive much deeper into this topic, then please do join us and you can find that information in the convention material. Uh, I don't want to go into all of the entire (laughs) outline of the agenda here because it might take a little bit of time, but uh, we're going to be doing everything from talking about everything from a legal and advocacy perspective. We're going to bring in um, experts from uh, Microsoft Corporation uh, Vispero and TPGI, uh, as well as others on the Information Access Committee and across education and uh, the web accessibility space. Uh, we're hoping to really empower people to provide more input to you know, website vendors and technology companies uh, about their web ex- accessibility experiences. And we're going to leave you with tools and tips and techniques to be able to achieve that goal. So I just wanted to announce that just so that people were aware. So. Again, that's the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th uh, coming up next week. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for that information. And I think that's a great service um, of ACB. I think the more information we can provide people, the better. Um, you know, but I also think, you know, while I completely support it, I also think there is another side, which is this is what makes it so hard, I think, is that 
you know, we're trying to balance a fine line between how are the standards going to represent, right? Are they going to represent the corporate interest? Are they going to rent the accessibility, disability community interest? Because those aren't always the same things, right? And the number of websites uh, that are still inaccessible is really sad. Um, the number of things that we can't do on the web is really sad. Uh, and just being blunt about this, the fields where we have the most accessibility are places where there has already been legal action, whether it be lawsuits or structured negotiations. Uh, that's where we sadly have the most accessibility. Uh, and I think that's where the problem of allowing the guidelines to be the ability for people to hold people compliant in that way is a real problem. And I, it's a it's a philosophical debate. I recognize that. But in my view, um, you know, educating people and, you know, going to them, asking for things, you know, just has not worked nearly as well as has suing them. And, and I think that's really sad. Um, but I also think the evidence is, is pretty clear that there's a lot of truth to that. That doesn't mean that individual, I've mentioned it before, I've done that on myself. I've advocated with certain spaces and, and gotten some things changed and people absolutely need to do that. But the real industry changing systemic change uh, only happens at that level. The individual changes absolutely. Like when I got the, the uh, garbage portal changes, that helped people across the whole country. Um, it was me working with one company. But uh, the systemic change, sadly, has only happened through legal action. And, and I wish it wasn't that way, but, but it is. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you, Desi. Well, okay, um, Jonathan. So, you know, I... I, I guess I would tend to agree with you that there ought to be um, representation from the from the um, from people with disabilities on that um, WCAG committee or board or whatever they call it. Um, but I'm wondering if you think that anything good has come out of it, and if so, what? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that we have guidelines is good. Um, I think the fact that we have uh, people and corporations alike talking about it is good. Um, I'm not saying it's a useless process. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. There's just a difference between who leads it and who determines what is going to constitute compliance. And Right now, corporations determine what constitutes compliance for all intents and purposes. And so, uh, and I, again, I don't want to jump the gun because we don't know what the whole range of things are going to be, but I think three is going to take that in a decidedly backwards turn. So uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not against the guidelines at all. I think we need them. Uh, I think we need a process like this. 
But I think we also have to be honest that it's not equitable or inclusive Mm -hmm. of the people it's attempting to serve. And I think there are not only, you know, problems in the development as to what the development results in, but there's a fundamental moral equitable component to that, you know, that if it's going to be developing things for us, then it really should include us. And, and I, you know, and I just have to say, yes, there are some folks with disabilities involved in the guidelines working group, but basically they're involved through their employer. And, you know, there is a direct conflict of interest there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, most people can't afford $7,900 a year to join. Right. I know I can't. (laughs) Right. And my, my uh, employer, the, uh, my employer is a government body. My employer is never going to pay that much money. And by the way, as a taxpayer, uh, I don't think they should pay seven. I think we have better things to spend our money on, like serving the people, than paying $7,900 for me to sit on the guidelines working. But the problem with that is it's designed that way so that, you know, it's, it's basically a club for wealthy people. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I have a couple questions. So part, um, first of all, Jonathan, I am a, I am an advocate who sits on a grassroots advocacy organization here in my area called breaking silences advocacy committee. And I sit on their accessibility accommodations committee. Is it okay if I send this to, to, um, the person that's chairing that committee and, um, also how can we look comment and look at WCAG. How can we do that for this standard? And then what can we as consumers and advocates do if three is adopted or make change in them? And what can we do if something isn't accessible with three? And can I access the web content accessibility session on the podcast post-convention because I cannot attend it. And I just want to say huge congratulations to you and Desiree on your, on your upcoming nuptials as well. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Uh, There's a lot there. I hope I can remember them all. (laughs) Uh, So all of the information that I post here uh, into the website is free. People should make whatever use of it they think they can. So later today, I will post the podcast file to the website, and there will be a text, a textual representation of the pre-recorded portion of this. So anybody you want to share that to, um, feel free to do that. In the textual representation, there are links to much of what I spoke about during the pre-recorded presentation. Uh, and on the WAI um, homepage, which is linked to, there are links to the drafts of the different versions of WCAG, even three, even though it's not a final version, it's there. You can find the latest official version of three. Uh, and there are also uh, ways there to comment on them. There are, you can comment via email. There's a process to comment via email. Uh, and so, uh, there are ways for you to comment, but um, just again reiterating, you know, beating the drum further, 
um, you can comment, but you have no voting say. Um, you your comments are just a general queue of comments, uh, and that's what the disability community basically has. Um, we have no say uh, in what is finally adopted. Now, as far as um, I think your other question was about the podcast. Um, we again, we aren't doing um, a version of the podcast in July, uh, partially because of the ACB convention and partially because um, we'll be moving in things in July. Uh, so this will be our last episode until August 5th, I think. Um, and thank you for your congratulations. I appreciate that. I think I covered all of it. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, um, but um, so do we have any other questions? Um, so just to reiterate, um, the next episode will be August 5th. This uh, episode will be posted to the website with the text and resources later this weekend. If you have any questions or comments about the episode or the Demand Our Access project in general, you can reach me at jonathan at demandouraccess.com. That's jonathan at demandouraccess.com. Um, or you can go to the website and fill out the contact form. Um, there's a contact form right in the main menu on the Demand Our Access website. And if that's more comfortable for you, you're welcome to, uh, to reach me through that process as well. Um, so we'll take one final look. Do we have? Yes, it's me again. And sorry, you can hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't have raised my hand except that there weren't some others. So I thought I would take advantage. Um, I first got a sense of that issue of what you're talking about of, you know, um, how to get involved in the governance structure or not being able to figure out how when I visited their website and there was a list of all their groups, all the working yes. groups or whatever they call them. And oh my goodness, there were over like 200 of them, highly technical. And I was just trying to ask myself the question, gee, how could I as an individual or as a member of a group get involved? And I was absolutely baffled. But it's not easy, truthfully. So the question, and of these 200 some odd groups, it seems like I have no idea. 80, 90% of them haven't like met in three or four or five years. So um, if, so if, you know, an organization was able to get involved in some way, then the entry point would also be a challenge. So just digging a little deeper, what would you think such an entry point could conceivably be? So uh, there are different links to comment on the different versions. Um, you know, so I think that's one entry point. I think Another entry point is it's the um, Accessibility Guidelines Working Group. You, that's you can contact them. But are these are these things like do they publicize them right on the banner on a front page? Like con no, I mean did, I wish it was easier to do this. I'm not saying. I think that's part of the process, right? Is that you can comment if you are willing to spend the time and figure out how but it's not the most intuitive, easy process. And I'll, I'll be fully transparent. A few years ago, I attended a webinar and I asked some folks about the equity of this process. 
And they hemmed and hawed and basically said they knew they needed to do more. And they gave me an email address. They they invited me to submit some comments about it. And I wrote to the email address and in it and my email bounced. So uh so um you know you can comment. Um I know it's possible, but again, um it's 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 not the easiest thing and and it's just you know from a moral component, a moral principle, that's not what our our feedback should not be limited to finding different comment forms or email addresses and sending it in. Like that's that's not how this process is supposed to work. This process should be led by people with disabilities. Uh, the what constitutes compliance should be decided by people with disabilities. That's equity. Um, but I will. I will say that I will. I will try to find uh, some comment links, and I will put them on the website uh, in a post. Um, so, if folks want to give that a try, uh, I will see if I can make it a bit easier. Thank both of you for your assistance today. Um, it's it's very much appreciated. And uh, I guess we'll take one final. Is there anything? No hands at this point. Okay. So I guess for this uh, episode, we are done. And thank you for coming, everybody. Thank you for listening uh, on ACB Media, for coming to the Zoom webinar. I appreciate your support. Um, I hope everybody has a, a wonderful ACB convention and uh, enjoys the uh, month of July. And we will see everybody back here on Saturday, August 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern. I don't know what the topic is. Um, we're a long way away from that. Uh, but we will be back August 5th. Have a nice day.